It's uh, good to be here, but it's also a little sad because I was getting used to coming here. And today's the third, the third Sunday, but Lord willing, if you need, you need help, I'm, I'm available. Uh, I'll, I will come and spend time to, to give the scriptures and to share God's word. Um, let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful. You are so good, Lord. We thank you that when we have troubles and we need help, we can lift up our eyes and we know our help comes from the Lord, our God, the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for the words that the psalmist wrote because you knew, Father, that we would need to be encouraged and strengthened. So we ask you, Father, this uh, moment, this gathering, we are assembled in the name of your son, Jesus, that you will meet with us, that we will have communion with you, that the spirit would fill our hearts and our minds, and give us eyes to see, ears to hear what the spirit is saying, so that your son, Jesus, may be glorified that your son Christ may be exalted. For he sits in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, ruling with power and authority, putting all things under his feet for the church, and that is us. Oh, Father, we pray that you give us freedom and liberty at this gathering so we may be encouraged and Give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say amen, amen. Where does that help come from? Psalmist asked the question, where did his help come from? And that's our question as well. Where does our help come from? And if you open your Bibles again to Psalm 121, we know that as he asked the question, that question was built on a confession. And it just wasn't a statement, um, but it was a confession built on some, some understanding of God, doctrine of God, a theology of God, that he was the creator of heaven and earth. And that is his ground for confidence. And it comes from his knowledge and understanding of who God is. Because the troubles of life can overwhelm us. The cares of this world can cause us distress, anxiety, worry, fear, and doubt. And even, even paralyze us, so to speak, where we're not doing much. So it's all these questions and what ifs that come our, down our path that was the same thing the psalmist of the writer was facing in his time, especially during the journey. So he says he lifted up his eyes to the hills and he asked the question, where did this help come from? And we know that there was trouble, possible trouble with the climb. It could have been bandits, heat stroke, uh, even moonstruck. If you notice in verse Verse 6, it says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Uh, they believed that the different phases of the sun would cause sometimes mental anguish or changes. Uh, you ever heard of the word luna? 
lunatic. Well, that's the idea that the sun, I mean, excuse me, the moon would cause some problems in the mind and even mental breakdown. So those were concerns. Heat exhaustion, dangers, wild animals at night, hunger, thirst, evil people. I guess for us, we'd ask the question, what is the greatest, greatest troubles or greatest fears or threats facing you today? So his confession, his understanding of God, understands that he's the one that maintains, controls, and directs everything in creation. He is the one who created the hills, the heavens, and the earth out of nothing. So therefore, his power and sovereignty is unlimited. But he makes promises, and these promises are based on his person too. And we see that over several times in this uh, psalm, starting with verse 3, he says, He will not let your foot be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, moon, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're coming and going, and you're from this time forever, forever, for, excuse me, this time forth and forevermore. So there, the promise was based on a reflection of more of his theology, more of his doctrine of God. And it's grounded in the fact that he says, the Lord will keep me. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord will watch over me. He will protect me. He will attend to me. He will observe. He will have charge of all things. And this keeping was not passive. It was active. And the word they use for keep and keeper is, is a verb. And so it was not passive. It was active. And that tells us that the Lord is actively, actively involved. The Lord is actively protecting is constant, it never fails, never falters, it, never, it is never interrupted. He will not let your foot slip, feet slip, it will not move, it will not totter, it will not shake. Not like a human guard. I was speaking with somebody last week that says they do some security. And I guess they kind of make the connection that, you know, humanly there are security guards. And sometimes there are some security guards where you go to some places and uh, instead of keeping security, they they're fall asleep. They sometimes take breaks. And that's not saying they shouldn't, but there's times when they should be watching and keeping things secure and they're actually taking a break. They're taking a nap. Our God is the one who keeps us. He's not like the pagan gods who thought at times that they would, they would fall asleep, that they needed to be entertained. See, God is able. God is able, and the Lord who keeps Israel, he can keep the nation, he can keep all of them together, and he can keep his own. So it goes from the general to the particular. So there's constant, constant coverage. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Constant coverage, day and night. And this protection is from your keeper. 
So there is going to be a successful outcome. There is going to be a successful outcome of this journey and successful because of God who is the one is the guardian. God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. It is the Lord himself who guards. It is the Lord himself who protects from all dangers compared to those false gods. Because danger lurked everywhere. When you're in the desert, there are times where it's so dark you can't see. And there are dangers. And he understood as he walked through those deserts that he understood the Lord's watchful eye is fixed on his people. The Lord is our keeper. He is watching over us. Day and night, seven days a week, 24-7, 365 days a year, 52 weeks constantly, nonstop, around the clock, closed circuit, surveillance cameras all over the place, face recognition. Because he can go from the general and the big to the particular. Because he says, he who keeps Israel will be your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Because he is the one that keeps Israel, but he will not miss you. So he guards them. He protects them from the dangers on the journey day and night. Talk about safety. You know how being in good hands, he does better than all state. But see, we must rely, we must not rely upon men and means. Because God is the primary cause of all things. Not second causes. Not the instruments. In other words, are, are we depending on the hill for our strength? Were they depending on the strength of those hills? No, he says, no, the Lord is our defender. The Lord is our defender. He is our deliverer. You know, in the ancient Near East, the desert was an unforgiving place. Extremely hot. I mean, it's getting hot these days. But this was extremely hot. And they needed streams. And they needed water for refreshment. They needed rest. And sometimes those were far and few in between. So when you're going from one place to another and you're beginning to feel thirst, you're beginning to wonder without, you know, no, no GPS, no, uh, no, uh, they, they had to depend on God. No food. There might not be anywhere to satisfy the hunger. So we have to be careful, brothers and sisters. Because when you're in the desert, it gets very difficult. It might be sometimes overwhelming. And we know from Israel... As they were in the desert, they began to grumble. They began to complain. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. 
See, we have to be watchful because when we go through periods of affliction and sufferings and sometimes being overwhelmed, the danger is we can become or we can have the tendency to complain and grumble. And there is a fine line between God understanding that we're weak and we're feeble, and then there's a fine line where we may be calling into question his character. That's where we have to be a little aware of what, what may be going on. Chapter, chapter 15 of Exodus. Let's start with verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found what? Found no water. So that was, that was a common fear that there would be no water in the desert. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. All the people, what did they do? Not just some of them, but how many? All of them. What did they do? They, they grumbled and they complained. All the people grumbled. And they grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. See, they were in the desert, and they were dying of thirst. They became thirsty. And possibly they were hungry, too, because we know that they complained about food. They were in the desert with thirst, hunger, and the heat was beating down on them. Let's go to chapter 16. By the time we come to chapter 16, starting with verses... Let's start with verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of sec the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they were going through some stuff. Personally, they were going through some changes. Their whole world was rocking and rolling. They were thirsty. They were hungry. The heat. Let's keep reading. Oh, would we have died, they said, and by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven, for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion 
every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And we know that was manna coming down from where? From heaven. Because we know Jesus said, oh, you believe Moses gave you that bread. But that bread came from above. And they were being put to the test. And the question is, were they going to pass the test? What was the test about? Was the test just to test their endurance? Was their test a test of, of, of their self-will? What was that test about? I, I believe the test was, and we know because the New Testament gives us some understanding, that that was, that was Christ. And I think they were somewhat failing the test. Because their faith was faltering. Their faith was being stretched and challenged. And not only was it being stretched and challenged, eventually we know that that faith kind of snowballed into unbelief. We have to be very careful, brothers and sisters. So the question, where does I help come from, is not just based on a confession, but it's also based on the, the, the true experience of a believer. Are they trusting in the hills? Are they trusting in the secondary causes? Are they trusting in the means and men? Are they, are they trusting in the instruments? Because if that happens, it's very short-sighted. We miss the bigger story. We miss the bigger picture. see the fact that they were saying you brought us out here to die you brought us out here to kill us what did that what that is demonstrating what it is showing is that they have not understood God they have not understood God and and how he is working to fulfill his promises because that is part of of God's purpose and, 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 and providence to bring them to the place of promise. True? That's, that's the direction they're heading. And look, brothers and sisters, we are too. Oh, we're headed. We're, we're, we're already past the promise. We're living in the fulfillment. But we're moving. We're moving. This, this, this place is like a desert. So we know he gives them manna. Then go down to verse, let's go down, let's keep reading. Um, verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Right? So there's something they need to perceive. There's something they need to apprehend. So in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? 
And Moses said, when they heard the Lord, when the Lord, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? You are grumbling, your grumbling is not against us, but against who? That is why we need to be careful with the secondary causes and means because sometimes we're grumbling and complaining and we have to be careful that we're, at the end, we're grumbling against the sovereign one. The one who providentially has worked all things, all things, all things for his purpose and for his glory. Verse 13 says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law came, he was, saw what he was doing. He said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from, all, from morning till evening. evening. Excuse me. And Moses said to his father, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. What a key moment. That they come to Moses... And Moses is going to help them. You know, John Gill, he wrote a commentary on Psalm 121. And part of his commentary is to help us to understand you see that, that God has provided for them. God, God gave them the bread. God gave them the, the, the manna, the water, and even quail from heaven to help them. But yet they kind of were showing they didn't understand who God was and what God was doing and how he was working to fulfill his promise. And we know throughout their journey, even, even he provided a cloud of for, for a cloud by day and a fire by night. To, and he gave them the cloud to give them shade. This is what John Gill says. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. He is at the right hand of his people. To hold their right hand. To teach them to go. Lead them into communion with himself and hold them up safe and to strengthen their right hand. Assist them in working without whom they can do nothing and to counsel and direct them and to protect and defend them against all their enemies. So a shadow, he says, signifies defense. We wouldn't think a shadow is Anything but a shadow, right? But for them, that shade and that shadow was a, 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 according to Gill here, it signifies defense. And such great personages are to others. In which sense, Virgil, who was another commentator, says, uses the word shadow. And much more true is this God of himself. And he is like the shadow of a great, great rock in a weary land, or of a spreading tree which is a protection from heat and very reviving and refreshing. 
The allusion may be to the pillar of cloud by day, which guided and guarded the Israelites in the wilderness and was a shadow from the heat as Christ. I, I love Gil when he does this. As Christ is from the heat of the fiery law. Christ is our protection. Christ is our shade from the heat of the fiery law. A flaming sword of justice, the wrath of God, and the fiery darts of Satan. You see, the people of Israel began to grumble and complain as they were put to the test. Because they didn't truly understand God's purpose and plan and his promise. Turn me back to Psalm 21. Psalm 21. The Lord is our keeper, our protector, our defender. And we know that at the night of, in the wilderness with his people, he provided a, a pillar of fire to, to guide their way in the darkness. But you know what verse 6 says? The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So he adds that, that the, the Lord is going to keep you and protect you. He's going to keep you from being struck by the moon. You ever heard of the term moonstruck? There was a, a movie called Moonstruck. Because they feared, uh, just as some people do, do, do today, they fear that the moon is able to cause emotional and even mental disorders. Look it up. You'll see there, there's that, that thing going on. So when they, they thought of the moon striking, striking by night, they were concerned that it would make them nuts. It would make them go batty. It would make them brain sick or, or crazy. That the moon had that kind of influence. And the different phases that it would go through. So they were literally uh, afraid of the moon. But you see, the psalmist says, the, the writer of the psalms says, the Lord keeps and guards and watches us intently. He is watching us around the clock, preserving. And this is big. This is comprehensive because he uses the sun and the moon to contrast. He wants us to see how big and great and powerful is God's guardianship over his people. And whatever the effects may be, not only in the natural things, but whatever the effects may be emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, He is going to keep you. We know, He says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Don't miss this. Let this sink into your very being right now. The one that is able to, to guard Israel and then in particular watch over you. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He keeps you. He will keep you and he will keep you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. He will keep your very life. 
And the word there is actually soul. He will keep your very soul. Everything that makes you an individual, he is going to keep. That's how deep he wants us to go. In other words, brothers and sisters, please understand. I've been different places and I've been in a lot of conversations. And there are many people that like their brain tickled. Yes. Yes, uh, Christianity is, is an intelligent, reasonable faith. But it, not, it must not just exist to tickle our, our, our brain. It is to go into the depths of our being. He will keep you. He will keep your very life. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will protect you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. He will keep your very soul. In fact, this has echoes. It has echoes of the, of the blessing from Aaron. You want to see? Go to Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 6. Number 6. Sure, when we read this, you're familiar with it. Numbers chapter 6, starting with verse 24. Lord spoke to Moses, verse 22, chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, Listen to this blessing. The Lord bless you and what? Keep you. You understand? This is in their theology and understanding of God's purpose and plan and even their very life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The Lord wants to make his face shine. Upon you. Yes, he, 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 he had the desire to, to bless his people Israel. But also we are spiritually connected. And the Lord wants to make his face shine upon you. He wants to keep your life. He wants to bless you. I hope you see it, that he wants to keep who? He wants to keep you. He wants to guard you. He wants to protect you. He wants his, shame, his face to shine upon you. That means he wants his favor to be upon you. And we understand that when he used his face, he says he wants his face to shine upon them, was that he was taking notice of his people. Taking notice of his people and treating them with favor. So that the shalom, the peace, 
the favor of God, the well-being, the blessed state of, of prosperity physically and spiritually would be upon his people. Oh, the Lord our God watches over us. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in. From this time, from this time, for how long? This time forth and for what? Forevermore. And he still does it. He still does it. Christ our shepherd. He watches over us. He watches his sheep continuously. I am the good shepherd. He is awake at all times. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. All through the night, he is committed his sheep, to the Father. And how do we know? How do we know? Look at his priestly prayer. Look at the high priestly prayer of Christ in John 17. John 17, verse 12. As Jesus is praying, we hear his words and we understand in his prayer that he is committing his sheep to the Father. John 17. While I was with them, hear the words of Christ? Yeah, they're, they're in red. That means the words of Jesus too. But, but he says, while I was with them, I did what? I kept them. Christ, the good shepherd, the high priest says, I keep them. I kept them in your name, Holy Father, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Christ, our shepherd, is watching over us consistently without interruption, without faltering, without, without fluctuating. And we know that he committed to his father, the sheep. And in his prayer before he died, before he went to the cross, his great desire and prayer to, to the father was, Father, I have kept them which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. You see, Christ, he will not let your feet be moved. He will not let your feet slip or stumble or, or falter. Oh, we know. You know how we know? Jude. Jude tells us. Go to the last little book there towards the end. Jude and verse 24. Verse 24. Now to him, what a, what a way to end this little letter in a doxology, 
in a, 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 a word of praise, a word of exaltation. Now to him who is able to what? To do what? To keep you from stumbling, from teetering, from slipping. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Christ our shepherd, he does not let your feet be moved because he is the one that is able to keep you. He will guard you. He will protect you. So the, the psalmist is just ringing echoes, echoes of what was to come. Paul Washer in the movie called Unpopular. I don't know if you've seen it yet. You might want to see it called Unpopular. He said, the reason there is so much confusion about sin, right? People have different definitions of sin and understanding of sin. And it does exist because, believe me, people have theology. Sometimes that theology is not good. And people in the churches and seats, they do have a theology. Even if they're an atheist, they have a theology. And that theology isn't good. But the reason there is so much confusion about sin and the doctrine of sin, understanding of sin, Paul Washer, I like his conclusion, is because there's confusion about God. You get God right, then everything else flows from that point. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 50, verse 21, 22 said, These things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought that I was like yourself. They, they, were, they were thinking in terms of God like God was one of them. And that's the trouble. We create a theology about God that is a God according to our own understanding, our own imagination. So when the question comes, where does my help come from? Then we begin to understand why it is so difficult sometimes to sort through all the messy stuff because people have, have a very deficient and weak understanding of God. But this is where we need to help them. This is where we need to spend time. As Charles Spurgeon said, we need to jump into the, the depths and the wells of God who will never be exhausted. He says, you thought I was like one of you guys, but now I rebuke you. I lay a, an indictment, a charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God. Because that, at, that, at the end, that's what happens. Brothers and sisters, may God help us. May our Father grant us grace to have a greater understanding of him. Because we have to understand, and I say this with, with much love, God doesn't just reveal himself to anybody. He reveals himself to, to his own. And not only does he do it to his own, but he, he reveals himself based on our, our faithfulness to him. 
How do we know? Because when he had to deal with those Pharisees, it was the religious group of the day, he says, if you're faithful with the small things, I'll give you more. But if you're not faithful with what you have, even what you have will be taken away from you. It was a, it was a, it was a form and sign of judgment. So the ones that were understanding the secrets and the understanding the secrets of God, the kingdom of God, he was going to give more understanding. That is why it's so alarming, brothers and sisters, when you get to the seven churches of Revelation. The warnings are there. But also part of the warnings, he says this, if you don't make some changes, I will remove my lampstand from you. I will take away my influence. I will take away the light. In fact, we find some of them struggling. In fact, in chapter 3 of Revelation, I think it's verse 20, you have one where he's saying, open the door. If you let me in, we'll have fellowship. What's crazy is that they didn't even know he was outside. It's a church. Then there's the other one that says you have a reputation. And everybody sees, wow, look at, look at that church. But he, he tells them, look, you're, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, and, and, and you're dying. And even what's weak is about to die, so strengthen it. And then he tells them, how are you going to get this? He goes, you have to buy it from me. You have to come to me and get it. That's what we have to do, brothers and sisters. There is times we have to be on our face before God. We have to pray and agonize and plead and ask him. We cannot assume that just because I have a Bible and, and I just do these certain things, God's just going to show up. No, brothers and sisters, it doesn't work like that. The Lord said, you seek me. And you seek me with all your heart. And if you seek me with all your heart, you are going to find me. But what does it take? It takes everything. And that's what he sees. And that's what the... The, 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 the lamb, he pierces his eyes into the church. The seven spirits looking, piercing deeply into those places to see. What is he looking for? He wants a people that, that are hungry for him. Brothers and sisters, I pray that God will grace you. Will grant you grace to seek him and to that his favor will come and, and, and be bestowed upon you. Because what greater honor, what greater privilege and what and all humility that God our King would reveal himself to us. And we have to seek him with everything we got. We can assume that just because we have all the right things in place and all sometimes they call the gizmos and gadgets and the bells and whistles, God is gathering for himself a people 
They're going to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They're going to seek him with everything they have. Where does that help come from? It comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will come and help you. He will rescue and deliver us. He is faithful. He is faithful. And I believe with all my heart, brothers and sisters, this is no accident. You've been praying. You've been seeking. You've been asking God. And God sends his messengers. He sends them. And he, he, will, he will get the, the, the message to us. Be excited. The Lord wants to do a wonderful thing, a wonderful work here. But just be faithful and look up, not to the hills, but look out to where your help comes from. It's not even in a, it's not even in a man. It's from God. And he will bless you. He will bless his church with gifts. And he will send a, a, a gifted person of the word, a teacher, because we're faithful. Because he gives to those and he'll give more. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I feel so uh, humbled, but yet honored to be here among my brothers and sisters. Oh, God of glory. God of majesty. I pray for them that you will grace them and show them who you are. You are the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth. This is where their help comes from. You will not let their feet slumber, slip or stumble. You who keep Israel will keep them. You will not let the sun or the moon strike them, but you will protect them and guard them both now and forevermore because we know our great shepherd our high priest has secured secured for them Lord that you would guard and watch over them as he prays interceding and as the spirit intercedes with groanings that are too deep for us to even understand and even in that place Lord where we, we even lost for words the spirit intercedes for us so blessed spirit, I pray that you fall upon my brothers and sisters freshly. Renew them, strengthen them, Lord, and let them know surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We ask this for your glory, O oh God, and for their good. In Jesus' name we pray.